Good morning. It's, it's me again. Right. I heard that. We'll be talking to you this morning from the book of First Peter. First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. Don't stand up just yet. Um I know it's probably not the best scenario to talk about this, but it's been hot this week. <laughs> I melted at least three times this week. I felt like Olaf. I was just a puddle by the time it was all said and done more than once. So I'm kind of uh, accustomed to this. So I hope and pray that you can get accustomed to it too. Over the last couple of weeks, I've I've just kind of been looking at the uh, landscape of our society, just all that's going on. And it's, it's crazy, there ain't no doubt about it, it's, it's a lot going on and it's a lot taking place that doesn't have to. It's a lot going on that makes us sit back and, and look at it and go, how in the world or why in the world? And I've answered that question multiple times over the last couple of weeks. Of some of the guys that I've worked around, you know, we just kind of get in conversations from time to time, um, and it's it's been pretty common here lately for them to go, "How did we get here?" or "What happened that it came to this?" And my response multiple times has been, "Hopelessness. This world is hopeless, and when you're hopeless, you don't make good decisions. When you look around and you have no hope." Your decision-making ability goes down even lower than what it normally is. And let's be honest, we're not good decision-makers anyway. And when you're hopeless, that's magnified. And our culture, our world, is hopeless. Well, of course, the next question I get from the people that I'm talking to, that I tell them hopelessness is our problem, so what's the answer? And I go, you probably don't want to hear this. But you asked, so I'm going to tell you, there's only one fix for hopelessness. And that's the gospel. That's Jesus Christ. Because if your hope is in anything but Christ, it's going to let you down. You can't put your faith and your hope in the things and the people of this world. Remember, it's cursed. Right? So why would you put your hope in something that's cursed from the get-go? It doesn't make any sense. So you've got to find another place to put your faith and to put your hope. And that place is Jesus Christ. So what our world needs more today than it ever has, I guess you could say, is Christ. Alright, here's what scares me more than anything else about looking out over the landscape of society and seeing hopelessness. A lot of times the things we see in society tend to creep into our church. Because think about it, we're, we're, we're a part of that society, right? And we interweave, and sometimes we get too comfortable with what's out there, and we bring it in here. It's a dangerous place when the church gets hopeless. Think about that. See, here's the thing, as Christians, 
we should already know we win. It doesn't look good. It doesn't look comfortable. But in the end, we win. That's our hope. That should not, nobody should be able to take that away from us as Christians. We should always walk around with our head up, no matter the situation, knowing that in the end, no matter what takes place, we win. That's our hope. That Christ is who He says He is. That's our hope. That's where our faith is. It's in Christ, not this world. And I want to go into a little bit more detail of this subject with you this morning, starting in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. <clears throat> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that it is inexpressible and filled with glory, Obtaining the outcome of your faith, salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do humble ourselves before you to say thank you for another day of life. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be joined together. I thank you for the opportunity to stand before this congregation and deliver this word that you've given me to deliver. Father, I pray that, that, that my thoughts and my opinions be bound and everything comes out of my mouth would be glorifying to you. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come together on behalf of others. And right now, we lift up to you our, our family that is hurting over the tragic loss of a loved one. Father, we pray that you would supply them a peace and a comfort that surpasses all understanding. Father, that you would allow them to know and understand that all things work to the good of those who love you and are called to your purpose. Father, I, I thank you for your great mercy, for your grace, and for your forgiveness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He caused us to be born again to a living hope. According to His great mercy. 
according to His great mercy. The fact that I have hope isn't due to who I am. It hasn't anything to do with what a great person I am. It's because of God's mercy. What is God's mercy? It's Him holding back what I deserve. And what I deserve is God's wrath. Right? But because of His mercy, I don't get that. Because of His mercy, I get hope. So this hopeless world isn't any worse than I am. It's just God's grace that I have hope and they don't. So in other words, God's grace, God's mercy, the hope that He supplies, He doesn't give it to me for me to put it in my pocket and save it for a rainy day. It's meant for me to share with the rest of the world. Remember, the only cure for hopelessness is hope. The only source of hope is Jesus Christ. If I don't share Jesus with them, all they'll ever be hopeless. And the fact of the matter is, in a hopeless state, we make bad decisions. We do dumb stuff. Matter of fact, we do dumb stuff anyway. I'm guilty, by the way, of making bad decisions and doing dumb stuff. Matter of fact, in some parts of the world, I'm known for it. I got the scars and the wounds to prove it. So I need the best opportunity I can to make good decisions and that's going to be to not be hopeless. That's going to be to have hope. This hope that God's talking about. A hope that God supplies. Remember that. It's a hope that God, it's by His mercy that He caused us to be born again to a living hope. A living hope. So that we can have hope that is alive. So while we're alive, we can have hope that while we're trudging through this world, listen, let me point to you some hopeless cases that most of you are familiar with. Y'all remember a guy by the name of Daniel? You remember a story about a lion's den? Can I tell you to look at that, not knowing the end of the story, to look at that scenario and know that they're fixing to put him in a den with hungry lions, Daniel has no hope through the world's eyes, right? There's no, I mean, what's going to happen? I mean, we all know what's going to happen, right? He's going to get eaten by the lions. It's over. There's no way he can fight them off. He's not going to survive. But enter into this equation another factor, and that is Daniel is faithful to God, and hopelessness is out the window. Now Daniel has hope. It's not based on anything that we know about this world. Hungry lions don't just lay off of an innocent victim, right? So the only factor that changes the fact that Daniel is hopeless is the factor that God is involved. Ever heard of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? The fiery furnace? Ten times hotter than they've ever had it? You know what that is? Looking from the outside? Hopeless. It's a hopeless situation, right? It's hopeless. They have no hope. What's going to happen? They're going to burn. They're going to walk in and melt down, Eddie. That's the only thing we can say about it, looking at it through hopeless eyes. But see, you add in that other factor to the equation that God's involved. 
Now what happens? They walked out the other side and didn't even smell like smoke. Hopelessness left the building. Now the situation has hope, right? Paul, in prison, I don't mean spending time out on the, on the yard working out. I mean in a dungeon-style prison. I don't mean for a few days. Some estimate somewhere around 14 years. How much opportunity does Paul have to get the gospel out from where he's at? The situation's hopeless. Right? He, I mean, he's stuck in a dungeon-type prison. Yet, do you realize how much of our Scripture that we have today came from that time in Paul's life? So what happened to hopelessness? When Christ is brought into the picture, hopelessness has to flee. It can't stay. Because God can do things far and above what you and I can imagine. So when I look out over the landscape of our society and I see all this hopelessness, I have to remind myself that one factor entered into this equation and it's no longer hopeless. Just like Daniel, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just like Paul. See, the God that done all those things is still the God we serve today. That's a big factor in us having hope in Christ is that it's never wavered. God is still who He's always been. I read, in, a, in I think it's in Jeremiah, where He says, I know the plans that I have for you before you were born. And it's all good. Does that mean Jeremiah is never going to see a hard day? See, what you've got to understand about Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Paul the hard stuff wasn't removed. That's not what brought hope. The hard stuff was still there. The furnace was not turned off. The lions did not die. See, you and I, our hope is in the fact that it'll be an easy walk. That's not true. That's not going to happen. You've not been promised gravy in this life. But what you have been promised is success. We win. We win. No matter what happens, we win. That's our hope. That's our hope. That's how, that's how the problems of this world get fixed is when they have, they have the kind of hope that tells them, regardless of what's going on in our culture, in our society, in our world, we win. You know, it kind of takes all the drama out. Have you ever been in a situation where there was a big game on? Football, baseball, whatever your thing is. And it, I mean, it's game of the century type stuff and all you can think about is that game, but you can't be there. So you record it. We all, we all got what started out as TiVo, right? Beep, 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 beep. Recorded. It'll be there when I get home. And then on your way home, you know, you've, you've trudged through whatever it was that drew you away from your event. Whatever was so important that you, that you had to be there instead of in front of the TV. You've recorded it, and on the way home, some goob on the radio tells you the score. Now you've got to go home and watch this game knowing the outcome, right? How much fun is that? 
Matter of fact, we'll just turn it off, won't we? So see, look, all the drama has been removed because you know the outcome. Oh, you can still cheer, but when your team's in a dire situation, if you know they win, you just grab back and go, Don't, none of that matters. Because in the end, we're going to win. Listen, that should be our attitude in this life as Christians. We should be able to look at every situation and go, look, it don't matter what's taking place right now. At the end, we win. That's our hope. That's why you can go through these trials and that's why you can go through this hard stuff with a smile on your face. It ain't put a smile on and everything will be okay. That's, that's not the idea. The idea is knowing that we win makes us rejoice even in the hard times because the victory is assured. It's not going anywhere. Nobody can take it away from us. And if we could convince this world of this, but listen, they ain't buying what you're selling because they don't believe it because you don't walk it. They ain't believing what I'm selling because they don't buy it because I don't walk it. That's why we come under such a microscope when tragedy strikes in our personal lives. It's because what they want to see is how you handle it. And see if all the stuff you've been telling them, if you really believe it. Because that's how you prove that you believe it is you walk it out. Saying it don't, don't convince anybody of nothing. Listen to me. If your hope is in who's president, you're going to get let down. If your hope is in a doctor, you're going to get let down. If your hope is in a certain relationship, you're going to get let down. But if your hope is in Jesus is who He says He is, and He will do what He said He will do, and that is return to gather His church, you ain't going to be let down. That didn't say it won't be hard. Didn't say you won't have trying days or trying weeks or even difficult months. But in the end, you win. The victory is yours. There's no reason to let the things of this world drag us down when we understand that we can't lose. Can you imagine? Now, I gave you the scenario of the recorded ball game earlier. Can you imagine a team hitting the field with the knowledge of the end of the game? Can you imagine the strut they would have coming out of that locker room if the, if the, if the game had already been played and they knew they are going to win? Everybody in the crowd would go, boy, there's something different about this team. There's something different about the way they carry themselves. They look like they can't be beat. You know why? So why do we look so downtrodden? So why does the church look like it's been beat up? We can't lose. We're not hopeless. We have hope. And it can't be taken away from us. It can't be altered by the events in this world. Keep going with me so I can get through with this thing. Our hope comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, our hope is, is that it's exactly what He said it was going to be. Because He's resurrected, I'll be resurrected. So in other words, death from this world is not the end. That's our hope. Keep going. And look what we're, look what we're guaranteed. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading 
that is kept in heaven for you. I heard a statement a couple of weeks ago that, man, I just about come out of my service truck when I heard it driving down the road. I mean, part of it was a little bit of, yeah! The guy said, if you're living your best life now, you must be expecting to go to hell. Think about that. If you're living your best life now, you must be expecting to go to hell. Because the promises of our best life don't come in this world. Not to say we don't get first fruits of it. Not to say we don't get glimpses of it to keep us encouraged and pushing. But listen, there ain't nothing you can experience in this world that's going to compare to what we're going to experience in heaven. So if you're living your best life now, you must be expecting to go to hell because it gets a whole lot better than this even on our best days. Right? I about come out of my truck when that guy said that. Woo! Amen, brother. Are you kidding me? Why didn't I think of that? I'm telling y'all, I have very few original thoughts, but I am the master of carrying others along. Right. You don't want to know the thoughts I have. What's original up here probably don't need to be spoken out loud. <laughs> right. There you go, Stevie. There you go. You reading it in now, brother. I hear you. Because what God has put us up put up for us and what He's promised us is to come. That's our hope. Look at this. Let me, let me see if I got it wrote down. I wrote it down. Ah. Romans chapter 8, 24. I think. Yes. Romans chapter 8, verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The reason the promise is to come because who hopes for what he already has? There's no reason to hope for it anymore. You done got it, right? So if what's the best is here, then what are you hoping for? You've already got it. That's what drives our hope. That's what makes us long for it patiently. Is the fact we don't have it yet. You hope for what you don't have. You don't hope for the things you already have. That's how I know, other than Scripture defining it very plainly a while ago, that I can't possibly be living my best life now. Because what I am hoping for has to be much greater than what I have now. I've got to where when I go in places or I meet people and they say, hey, how you doing? I'll go, I get better all the time. And when they get through giggling, I'll go, and that's hard to believe as good as I am now. You ought to see the looks I get. It's a lot like what I just got. Some people even say, boy, I hope you're getting better. Because <laughs> if what you are right now is the best we got, we're done with it. And I agree. I totally agree. Listen, I don't hope for what I have. I hope 
for what I long for. That's my hope. That's why I know there must be a victory at the end is because God promised it and He's done told me you might see glimpses of it here, but you ain't you can't contain what I've got for you after this. You can't handle it right now. Besides that, it's undefiled and unfading. And everything in this world is defiled and fading. It's fading if you don't just look at the human body. And if you don't see it yet, give it a few years. When waking up, don't become pop up out of the bed and shoes on the floor and take off out the door. It becomes 30 minutes of rolling and wandering and trying to get stretched out enough to make sure your legs are under you enough to hold you up before you put them on the floor. You know why that is? Because it's fading. It's fading. For every one of us, it's fading. Listen, I don't hope for things that are fading. I'm not hoping for things that are temporary. The victory that God has promised us is for eternity. And you don't hope for things that you have. You hope for the things that you don't have. Keep going with me. Who by God's power... Listen, this is, this is the people that have received this promise. <clears throat> An inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You got that? Huh? You hear that? We are being guarded through faith. You see this? Guarded. God Himself is guarding us through faith for a salvation that is to come and be revealed in the last day. That's it. Listen, this is the basis for our hope. The worst thing that this world can do to me is take my life. Absence from the body is presence with the Lord. And I get it. I understand. See, here's the deal. Every one of us are imperfect beings. We are. At the root, at the core of each one of us is selfishness. Every one of us. We're born that way. We are naturally selfish. My go-to when things get tough is self-preservation. It's hardwired into you. It's because of the curse. So it's something that every one of us has to overcome. We've talked about this a thousand times. The biggest destroyer of people in general is selfishness. We want what we want. When we want it, let me have it now. Right? I want to drive up to the first speaker, tell them what I want, go to the first window, give them my money, go to the second window, get my food, and if all of that takes more than three to five minutes, I'm mad. Right? That's selfishness in each and every one of us. It's why we cook in microwaves instead of crock pots. We want what we want, and we want it now. But if we can learn to be patient, based on a hope that God has put inside of us, that He has supplied to us, if we can learn to be patient, I promise you what comes out of that crock pot is way better than anything you can put in that microwave. 
You wake, leave the house in the morning smelling it, Eddie, and think about it all day. Roast beef, carrots, taters, and that gravy. Oh, my, I can't wait to get home. And it ain't let me down one time. Look. Right? But see, that you, in order to enjoy those kind of things, we've got to put self aside and be patient. We've got to wait. Listen, the victory's still going to be there. And now it ain't like coming in in the evening and throwing it in the microwave, peeling that little plastic wrapper off and sitting down there and letting it cool for a couple minutes and, and gorging it down. It ain't, it ain't that. It don't happen. But I promise you, the reward of the waiting is worth it. We got to tell self, hey self, be patient. Because I promise you, the reward that God's got coming for us that's undefiled, that He's got put up in heaven, that He's promised to us is way better than anything we can have in this current time. Way better. It's why the world can't grasp the idea. Because they're selfish. No different than you and I. We're all selfish, but you and I have a desire to suppress the selfishness. That's what separates us. It ain't that they're sinners and we're not. We're still sinners. It's the fact that we're working to overcome that sin, to tell no to self. Right? That's the difference. We're waiting on the promise. Keep going with me. I'm just about done. Verse 6. Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 6. In this you rejoice. Though now, for a little while. There's some debate about that statement from theologians and people that study this stuff and people that are a lot smarter than me. And debate is whether that statement now for a little while is talking about the short times that you and I have to suffer or the short times that you and I get to rejoice versus life itself is for a short while. You know, the Bible describes this life as a vapor. Some of these newlyweds sitting around here thinking this year, six months, three weeks, whatever it is they've been waiting, feels like eternity to them. Just wait till after you say I do. Right? Christy's with me. She hears me. And it does feel like forever because our carnal minds don't understand forever. We can't wrap our minds around eternity. We don't get it. We can't get it. We're not built for that. Look at this. For a little while, right? Even this life as an entirety. If you make it to 100, 105, 107, 108, it's but a little while, right? If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Why would He let us be grieved by various trials? Here it is, your answer. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, skip over that next statement and go to where it says, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation. In other words, the various trials are to test our faith to make sure it's genuine. To make sure your faith is genuine.
Because let me assure you, it's easy to be a Christian when we're in church and everything's going our way and, and everybody, everybody's singing and praising. It's easy to be a Christian. It's easy to have faith when everything's going your way. But the genuineness of your faith is tested by trials, hard times, hardships, difficult circumstances, walking in the furnace while the fire is still going, not having the fire turned off, being in the lion's den when the lions are still alive. That's when your faith is tested to see if it's real faith or not, to see if it's genuine. It's the hard times, it's the trials. But listen, you can't go through trials hopeless. Because the promise is still the same. And the source of your faith and the source of your hope is still the same. It's not in the circumstances or the environments surrounding you. You should come out the other side of it with your faith grown, not shrunken. But for many of us, the trials seem to point to the faults instead of the genuineness. We want to turn to other things and rely on other things so that we don't have to go through that. Heck yeah. I'm about to melt again. <clears throat> I, the part I left out, let's go back and read it with that part in there because that part's important. But if you don't read it right, you, it, it can be confusing. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, that perishes even though it is tested by fire. Gold is tested by fire. Right? Goldsmiths, silversmiths, they take and put it in a pot, whether we're talking about gold or silver, and they turn the heat up. They, they, they put the fire to it. And they stand over that bowl dipping out the imperfections. When you turn the heat up, the imperfections come to the top. They dip out the imperfections. And the, the smith, the, the goldsmith or the silversmith, their goal, they know their job is done and they have a pure product when they look into that pot and see a perfect reflection of themselves. There's no imperfections there. It's a slick top and it looks just like a mirror. And I mean a perfect reflection. Do you realize that's what God does to you and I? when He's testing our faith in these fiery trials, is He's turning the heat up and our imperfections come to the top and He's scooping them off. And His goal is to be able to look down and see a perfect reflection, right? A perfect reflection of His glory. That's what we're called to. That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be down here being little reflections of His glory so that when He looks down, that's what He sees. And sometimes He has to put us in the fire to find us, find out our imperfections. But even that gold that is tested by fire is not as precious as your genuine faith. That's what it says. Even that gold that is tested by fire is not as precious as your tested faith, your genuine faith. Why? Because that gold is perishing. 
it's going to go away. It's fading. It's a part of this cursed world. It's all going away. Even the things that you and I view as the most uh, precious and valuable, they're all going away. About done. Keep going. Verse 8. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not know uh, now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Do we? Do we rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible? Do we should, according to the Scripture, we should. Just the fact that God's chosen us to give us a hope that nobody can take from us, just the fact that our genuine faith is more precious than gold that's tried by fire, we should have a joy. Why can you have that joy? Because we win. It's an inexpressible joy because no matter what's going on around us, we win. As the church, as God's people, as followers of Christ, we win. We have an advantage over the rest of the world. We know the outcome. They're still trying to figure it out. Listen to me. We win. That should give you a joy that is inexpressible. That should give you an, a, a joy that you can't contain. In other words, you can't help but have this BSG. That's what we say in deer hunting. When we kill that great big and we send one another a message and it says BSG. You know what BSG stands for? Big silly grin. This joy, this promise of this victory should give you a big silly grin. One that can't be wiped off. One that no matter... See, that's why we call it the big silly grin. Because I done done what I set out to do and y'all can't take it from me and I'm just going to spend at least a day smiling. This victory, this joy is bigger than that. It should call us all to have a BSG, a big silly grin. Not because putting a smile on makes all of it better. I didn't say that. It should be an expression of the knowledge that you have that you can't lose. An inexpressible joy and celebration that takes place no matter what's going on around you, no matter how hot it is, no matter how long the preacher is. I see you fading. I'm with you. I'm melting too. If I don't get done pretty quick, I'll be in a big old heap right here in the floor. Just a big silly liquid. That's what I'll be. Like Olaf in the snowman. I got you. But good news. Even if you sweat to a heap, if you are a Christian and your faith has been proven to be genuine, you win. You win. That's your hope. This is, these are things that I'm using to try to remind our church that we have hope. You don't have to go into this hopeless state that we see when we look across the landscape of our society. I've gotten to the point I refuse to turn the news on. I refuse to. I ain't watching no more of it. I don't give a rip. They can figure it out or not. God is still king. He's, Jesus is still at His right hand. It don't make no difference. What they tear down or what they tear up or what they spare paint or if i got to get a dead gum mask to go get my Cheerios, I'll just have to get a mask. I don't give a real. 
I've decided I'm not wearing a mask. They all say face covering. Gee, if you see me in town with my welding hood on, that's what I'm going. If we're going to go crazy, I'm going to be the craziest of the bunch. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm making it a competition right now. If I got to have on a covering to go in Walmart, I'm fixing to be a covering that everybody's going to remember. I ain't playing. I done got it. It's ready. I'm, I'm going this week. If y'all get that call, I ain't lost my mind. I'm just trying to let my joy be expressible. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to share the hope I got with everybody else that's out there. That's what we called to do is laugh through this stuff and get and no, it ain't funny. And yes, it's serious. And yes, I get that. And yes, it's real. And I know that. And I promise you, I take it serious as I can possibly take it. But if all we do is look at all this stuff through the lens of hopelessness, the mental and spiritual impact of all this garbage is going to be much greater than the physical. We got to find a way to laugh through it. We got to find a way to express our joy no matter what's going on. And listen, the reason some of them folks' head down is out there is because they're hopeless. And if you are a Christian and your, your faith is genuine, then you have a cure for their hopelessness. Share it with them. If you think you can make a difference in their life by putting a mask on them, wait till you see what happens when you put Jesus on them. Right? Lay it on them. Give it to them. It's, it's, we can't be hopeless, church. We can't be hopeless. We can't conform to this hopeless society. We've got to make a difference. We've got to make an impact. You've got to let your inexpressible joy be seen. So people will ask questions. Like, how can you possibly say you're getting better all the time? And I go, it ain't but one way it's possible. And I can tell you that. His name's Jesus. And they'll go, oh, you're talking about that. And walk off. You asked... Who knows, one of these days somebody might go, what? Tell me more. Right? we got to share it. we got to make every, take advantage of every opportunity we can. Over and over, day in and day out. Because if not, they're right. It's hopeless. Because without Christ, it's a hopeless situation. 